chapter number three, we were here last week. One of the things I hate doing, I hate it, I despise it. I hate preaching most of a message and then leaving part of it till the following week. Because then you think to yourself, well, what do you do? Do you need to review everything you talked about last week to get caught back up? Or do you just continue on? Because I know most of you don't even remember what I said last week. And so how much of it do I need to review? Do I just start all over? Who knows? I don't like ending with a message like that. But when the kids get done at 7 o'clock, i got to be done at 7 o'clock. I don't have no choice in the matter. And so we got 40 minutes. We're doing great. We're going to be in good shape tonight. The wisdom of a peacemaker. I'm going to do a little bit of review. The handouts that you got tonight, those were the same handouts as last week. So if you kept last week's, you can just fill in the last few things. I will run through all the notes real quick, and we will get into new material tonight. Last week, we got through some points I had from the Scripture. We were right at the application point. Tonight, we'll get the application from this passage. James 3, verse 15, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being our God. Pray that you'd be pleased and glorified tonight and help us as we look at this topic tonight of being a peacemaker. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see there's a rhetorical question asked in verse 13. Who is a wise, who is wise and understanding among you? Wisdom is the skill of working out practically what God says in his word. The second half of verse, as we look at verse 13 here, it tells us how we know who's wise. doesn't matter how many college degrees you have. It matters what you do. The Bible says there in verse 13, Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. A wise person is not someone who just tells you, Hey, I'm wise. Or maybe they're book smart. That's not what makes a wise person. Maybe in this world's eyes, that's what makes a wise person. But biblically speaking, we see here that a wise person, you see that phrase, conversation, talking about our lifestyle there, good behavior. And what happens here is, today so many people, they would consider a a good life would be someone, it would be wrapped up in your possessions, in power, in popularity, in pleasure. That's what the Bible says here. The Bible says here that a wise man and those that are endued with knowledge, who are they among you? It's those who their life displays it. You think about how we studied a couple weeks ago in James chapter number 2, verse number 18, I will show thee my faith by my works. Works are important. Works do not save you. But you want to find a wise person in life? It's those who do what's right. 
I hear so many people and so many times, well, if others would just do right, then I would. Wise. You're foolish. So-and-so does or what someone else does. It matters what you do. How real and genuine is your faith? It's shown by how you live. Do you have wisdom? Godly wisdom. It's shown in several ways. And we look at this and we think about the Bible told us in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings and endoeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. God equates wisdom with hearing and doing what he says. Not just hearing, but doing it as well. We look at verse number 13 again. I'm just giving you a little bit of review as we go through. As a wise man among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And meekness there is not a synonym for this power under control. You think about this. A wise person is a strong person under the control of God. Wisdom is demonstrated by the way that we live and how we act with humility. The true test of wisdom is your work. That's how you see a wise person. The remaining verses of the chapter, we see the James here, we see a between those who break peace and those who make peace. A worldly person breaks peace while a wise person makes peace. Are, in your relationships, do you strive to bring peace to your relationship? Or do you strive to break peace? I hear a lot of Christians that say they're so spiritual, and yet they can't get along with anyone. You're lying to yourself. There's nothing spiritual about you. The wisdom of being a peacemaker. You say, is this why no one came back from last week? I think so, because it's very convicting. Look at it. I'll give you a few thoughts tonight. We're going to just review a few things from last week, and then I'll get new stuff tonight. Don't worry, the new stuff tonight's more convicting than the old stuff. But number one from last week, a worldly person breaks peace. We see that in verse 14. But if you strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. We think bitter envying, bitter envying and strife is to want what someone else has so much, we end up harboring bitterness inside. That, that striving and envying is all about ahead. And what the Bible says here, if you have that bitter envying and strife in your hearts, look at the very next verse. It says, this wisdom. So this is how the world lives. The world lives that bitter envying and strife. That's a worldly thing. Look at what it says in verse number 15 there. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. When you have that bitter envying and strife in your heart, that does not come from God. That's not a God characteristic. In fact, if we look at the works of the flesh, I think that the bitter envying and strife would more fit under the works of the flesh. I don't see the fruits of the Spirit envying and striving and bitterness listed. But we see here, and as we look there in verse number 15, it says, 
that that wisdom is not from above, but it's earthly, that word earthly. And for a lot of people, wisdom is measured in worldly terms without any recognition of God. And if you have that bitter envying and strife in your heart, that's not, that doesn't come from God. That's an earthly thing. That's a fleshly thing. It says it's earthly. It says it's sensual. In Greek, it means animal-like and speaks of survival. It has the idea of being controlled by emotions or what feels right. And the Bible even says it's demon-like. It's devilish. Well, why would it be devilish? What did Satan do? I'm going to be like him. I'm going to ascend above him. Bitter envying and strife. That's why it's called devilish, because it's what the devil did. We think about it, and we look at all those things, envying and strife in our hearts. Look at verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You sow envying and strife, you reap confusion. You reap what you sow, literally. You look at the verses here, you look before us, and as we look at this and we think about these things, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So think with me here. Think with me for a second. You have that verse that's up on the screen. So God's not the author of confusion. Where does confusion come from? Did you read the verses that we read in our passage here? Bitter envy and striving in our hearts. That wisdom's not from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. What's the product of it? Confusion. You see that there? Confusion in every evil work where envying and strife is. So do you realize that God's not the author of confusion? God's goal for a church is not to have envying and strife in the church. He doesn't author that. That's our flesh. That's the wisdom of this world. So what does God want? What is God the author of? Peace. So when we have envying and strife in our hearts, we cannot do the things that God would have us do. We, bre- we author confusion. And God, that confusion doesn't come from God. I mentioned last week the Tower of Babel. Can you imagine what that was like at the Tower of Babel? It was envying and strife where? They wanted to make themselves as God, and they wanted to build a tower to God. So what did God do? He confounded, he confused their language. We look here, and as we look at this tonight, a worldly person breaks peace, but what does a wise person do? They strive for peace. Look at verse number 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and and without hypocrisy. So just as a worldly person breaks peace, and we see where their wisdom comes from, we see that a wise person, number two here, makes peace. We see there's quite a contrast, and we see there at the beginning of verse 17, but the wisdom from above. This takes us back to chapter 1, verse 17 where every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So the wisdom that's from above is several things we see. It's first pure. 
this quality refers to holiness. And that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then it's peaceable. Peaceable speaks of one's relationship. You think about this, purity speaks of one's relationship with God. And peaceable characterizes our ability to get along with one another. Peaceable literally means peace-promoting. Or you could say it this way, peace-loving. If you find yourself always looking for a fight, something's not right. Because peace always follows purity. And the wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable. Then we see there are six other qualities that describe a peace lover found there in verse number 17. The first one that we see, and think about these things in your own life tonight. Are you a peaceable person or are you a peace breaker? Think about it in your marriage tonight. Think about it in your relationships. We see there in verse number 17, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, and then there are six characteristics mentioned. The first one there is gentle. It has the idea of being forbearing. Are you gentle and reasonable with other people? Or would you say you're harsh? The Bible says that a peaceful person is gentle. Secondly, you see it says there, they're easy to be entreated. You know what that's talking about there? Open to reason. Do you have an open-minded attitude? Or do you always to be right on every situation? You will not be a peaceable person and get along with others if you're not open to reason. Because a lot of us get this idea, it's my way or the highway. We think we know what's best. And you're like, I do. My opinion's the best. That's the problem. Isn't that called pride? And only by pride comes contention. Peaceable. Easy to be entreated. Open to reason. Are you open to reason? Or are you the only one that's ever right? you're not open to reason, you're probably not, you probably don't have much of God's wisdom in you. Number the next one, full of mercy. The word full means to be stuffed or controlled by. Are you compassionate with those who are hurting? Do you look for practical ways to help? The Bible tells us in Luke 6.36, be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. You see, if you have that wisdom from above, it's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy. It's also full of what? Good fruits. Do you see spiritual fruit in your life? Think with me for a minute. Do you see spiritual fruit in your life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, against such there is no law. There's the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says that the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle, easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy, full of good fruits. Let me ask you tonight. Have the wisdom that's from above. If you do, there are some characteristics that should be in your life. Look at them real close. Is there love 
in your life? Not worldly loves, but we're talking about the love of the Spirit of God. Is there joy? Is there peace? How many of those fruits, you know, in uh, Ryan and Lori's backyard, there's an orange tree. I've never, when we lived there, I prayed one day that God would give me an apple from that tree. And do you know what? God didn't answer it and give me an apple. Only oranges come from that tree. So don't you think a Christian should be having good fruit? I think so. Good fruits, keep looking there. Without partiality. Do you treat all people the same? Or do you treat people differently based on whatever the case may be? So-and-so left a dirty comment on my Facebook, so I'm not going to be nice to them. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't act that way? It's not how he acted. I'm going to get even with them. Why? We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. We need to be nice to everyone. I'm not going to let people run over me. No one told you to be a doormat. There's a difference between being a doormat and just being nice. Be nice. Impartial. Do you just get along with people that you like, or can you get along with everybody? A Christian can get along with everybody. Next. Sincere. It says, without hypocrisy. Are you genuine? Or would people say that you're a hypocrite by how you treat them? We look at the last verse there, and we're just rounding the corner from the stuff that we looked at last week. But we see in verse 18, James uses another metaphor comparing wisdom with a seed that is sown. And look at what it says there. It says, and the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace of them that make peace. The root of godly wisdom is in some very attractive fruit. Some responsibilities I see from verse number 18 is this. We must is used for planting. When God grows purity and peace in us, then we can plant it in others. So we must sow peace, but we also think about this, the other responsibility, we must show peace. That phrase, make peace, literally means to do, to create, to work. Peace must be actively made because it never happens by chance. Left to ourselves, very divisive, and the very opposite of peace. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Church, are we peacemakers, or are we peacebreakers? That was all review, and that was a fast review in fast review of 20 minutes to go over what we went over last week to get you, how can I be a peacemaker? I'm going to give you four action steps, four applications. And we'll One, make sure you're at peace with God. <laughs> Don't try and be at peace with others because that wisdom comes from above. And unless you're saved and you know the Lord, you cannot be at peace with people because you don't know the Prince of Peace. Make sure you're at peace with God. Make sure that you know the Prince of Peace. There's no way to have the peace of God until you know the peace of God. 
You think about it, before salvation, we're outside of God, outside of his things. Talking to a lady just the other day and going through a discipleship book with her. And it was so neat, she never thought of several things, the fact that our spirit is dead till salvation. And our spirit's how we communicate with God. And you cannot have peace till you know the Prince of Peace. It all begins there. Make sure you're at peace with God. Number two, be at peace with those around you. Do you need to make things right with someone that you're fighting with? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? You say, but pastor, you don't know what so-and-so did to me, so I'm going to do it to them. That wisdom in your head is worldly, sensual, and it's devilish. That's not how Christ would have you act. God wants you to be, once you got that purity, that peace there, he wants you to be gentle, easy to be entreated. That's what God wants. I wonder what would happen if our entire church made a public commitment to be at peace with one another. You know, it's sad. And those of you watching online tonight, those of you sitting here, it's sad that part of my job makes me have to be a referee for some of you that can't get along. It should not have to be that way. Now, I do what I got to do. I got a whistle in my office. I got two bats for husbands and wives when they come in. Just go ahead. I'll turn my head, beat each other. I don't know. Do whatever you need to do. But it's a sad thing when people call themselves Christians and they can't be at peace with one another. It's sad that God gives us a church and the ability to have a great church. And yet... We have envying and strife, and our church is a place of confusion because we're like, oh, and, and something else. Sometimes we see people, and it's like they can't, and it's amazing. We have some of the greatest people that know, that are great at their trades, great at what they do, but they can only do it by themselves because they can't get along with anybody else. I've never seen a church have more of that than our church. And the problem is we haven't matured enough in our Christianity. We need to be at peace with those around us. You say, but I don't like what so-and-so did. I don't like these things. Are you glad that God doesn't hold a grudge against you and I? Because if God hold a grudge on me, he would never speak to me ever again. He would never want anything to do with me. And if God treated you the way you treat others, imagine what your life would be like. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I like what you're talking about. I don't know if I like the way you live either. So we're both on the same boat tonight. As people reconcile to God by the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we are called to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different than how the world does it. And yet so often we do it the way the world does. That has no business being in God's church. The head of the church, the Lord is, right? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And people see people in the church house fighting with one another. They don't see God. They see confusion. They see the opposite of that. So many of us in our homes tell people or say that our homes represent the Lord and what he would have, right? 
And yet those unsaved see our homes no better than theirs. We fight. We struggle in all of those things. That's not how it's supposed to be. Be at peace with those around you. Do you realize tonight, let me give you a few thoughts on this of being at peace with those around you. Why should we be at peace with those around us? To bring glory to God. You cannot bring glory to God when you're fighting or dwelling on your own selfish desires. Because when we are focusing on ourselves and our own desires, what we're doing is we're focusing on self. Every single time. When we have a problem with someone else and we hold envying and bitterness and strife in our hearts, we are all about us. We're not worried about bringing glory to God. We're worried about getting us getting what we need. Our goal should be to glorify God and bring and do what he's told, told us to do. You can bring God glory by obeying him in forgiving others. By obeying his commands, having a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. I'm not telling you tonight, oh, so someone robs your house and you forgive them, and you let them stay in your house again. I'm not telling you to be stupid. There's a balance between all that. But when we hold a grudge, that's not how the Lord would have it. We want to bring glory to God. And also this, we need to make sure we get the log out of our own eyes before we worry about the little stick in someone else's eye. Instead of blaming others for conflict or, res or resisting correction, we need to take ownership for ourselves. I often, it's not my fault, it's my spouse's fault that we're having trouble. You're a liar. You are a straight-up liar. Because guess what? The only way you're going to have problems in marriage, are you ready? It's two people. Nope, I never do anything wrong. It's just my spouse. You're a liar. But that's how people view it. If my spouse would just change this and do this, then everything would be all right. How about you do what God tells you to do and not worry about what your spouse does? You know, if I want my marriage with Caroline to be a good marriage, it's not my job to focus on what she does or what she doesn't do. It's my job to focus on me to make sure that I'm being the husband that she needs. My job is to be 100% of what she needs. Not to look and say, oh, she didn't, she didn't iron my shirt today, so I'm not going to be nice to her today. She didn't give me a kiss when I came in the room. And so I'm just going to be mean to her the rest of the day. No, maybe she had a hard day and I need to be extra nice to her. But this is what happens. We look and we're looking. It's all their fault. All this turmoil and stress and all this strife, it's their fault. And you don't ever look in the mirror to see you are to blame too. And maybe you only get 30% of the blame and they get 70%. Maybe you both get 50-50. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you're both to blame. I love that sports radio. They used to do a, um, a blame pie, Mason Island on uh, 710, and they would always, the last Dodger owners, it could be something, it didn't even have to do with the Dodgers, but McCourt's, 
The courts always got 10% of the blame pie for everything that went wrong in sports in L.A., even though they had nothing to do with it. But it's my, you might say, it's not my fault. It is. And, and you've got to understand that. Instead of blaming others, deal with it. Confess our sins. Get right with God. Then next, gently restore. Instead of pretending conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their back, We'll overlook minor offenses or, get this, we'll talk personally and graciously with those who've offended us. This is the problem. Joe offends me by not coming to church. So I go to Kevin. Hey, Joe. I just don't get it. He just finds every excuse under the sun not to come to church. Can you believe that? His big toe hurt the other night, so he didn't come to church because his big toe hurt. The Lakers were playing. He wanted to watch the Lakers game. Does it help me with my conflict with Joe to talk to him about it? No, but what it does, it makes me feel, it makes me feel better about myself. And we got to be very careful. Careful who you tell things to. And those who, if you're, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes people come, it's interesting. Sometimes people have marriage troubles and they'll come to me. But this is how it all normally happens. They don't both come to me and say, Pastor, let's meet and talk. Well, this is how it goes. Husband texts me. Or the wife sends me an email. It's like one of them talks about how bad the other one is. And they want me on their side. Like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Let's meet together. Because... This is what people want. People just want people on their side. And we got to be mature enough spiritually to realize, do you realize everyone's going to have their own biased side to everything? That's how it works. Two kids at school are on the playground and they fight with one another. One kid, I didn't do anything. All this kid just walked up to me and he started throwing things at me. I didn't do a thing to him. And then the truth comes out later that he was calling him a name or threw a ball at him. And then there's always two sides to everything. And we got to be wise enough not just to listen to one side, but be wise enough to hear both sides. And you got to understand something. The whole goal of restoration is just that, to restore relationships. But this is what happens. People come to my office and they're mad at each other or husband and wife having problems with their marriage. They want to come to tell their side, and they want the other person to see how wrong they are. That's pride again. The goal of getting together and to talk about and to bring peace from an offense is not so you can prove that you were right and how much you know. It's to reconcile the relationship. That's what it's about. And so gently restore the next. Go and be reconciled. Pursue genuine peace and reconciliation. Forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You'll notice in your notes you have a lot of references there, so you can look at all of those later on and see those different things. Next, number three. So I said number one underneath this um, application, make sure you're at peace with God. Be at peace with those around you. Number three, help others who are in conflict. Help others. We're in conflict. Think about that verse that says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, there in Galatians chapter number 6. 
Isn't that what the Lord did with us? He sent us Jesus, right? Remember, there was no way for me to get to God. So Jesus made a way so that I could get to God. He made the bridge so that I could get to God. So our job as Christians, for other Christians, why don't we help others? Do what Jesus did. Help them. Aren't we in the ministry of reconciliation? Doesn't the Bible say something about that just a little bit? We're not here to be fine. We're here to help others who are in conflict. Number four, lead others to be at peace with God. Lead others to be at peace with God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 talks about our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of It refers to a believer having their feet fitted with the gospel of peace. 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us, and turn there with me. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We've got to remember about, remember 1 Corinthians. There was a guy in the church that was doing things he shouldn't do, and yet they were letting him do it, and they finally give him some church discipline and kick him out for a time. And then the second Corinthians, they wouldn't restore him when he had gotten right. But chapter 5, look at 2 Corinthians 5 and look down at verse number 15. Go back up one verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray. Christ said, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see we've been given the ministry of reconciliation? As if God were making his appeal through us to others. Lead others to be at peace with God. That's what witnessing is all about. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now look at this. And he that winneth souls is wise. Why is he that winneth souls wise? Because those that are wise are bringing others to the peace that they have. It goes right back to James. Amazing, an Old Testament verse applying with a New Testament principle. Amazing how that works. Because if God wrote all of the Bible... He did. It's amazing. Let me ask you tonight as we close. Go back to our text in James chapter number 3. Let's just read those verses one last time tonight. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom? But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, the bitter envying and strife in your hearts, descends not from above, it's sensual and it's devilish. For where that envying and strife is, 
there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, completed, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Are you wise today? Say, I'm wise. I'm not talking about worldly wise. I'm talking about spiritually wise. A spiritually wise person, get this, is a person who yields himself to the Holy Spirit of God and lets the fruits of the Spirit be displayed in their life. This world and those who have worldly wisdom let the flesh run the show, the envying and the strife. That's fleshly. The works of the flesh, they're manifest. What does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what is a wise person? One who yields to the Spirit of God and displays the fruit of the Spirit in their life. In your life tonight, be it your relationships at work, be it your relationships at home, be it your relationships in church, are you spiritually wise or are you earthly wise? Let's work on being more like Christ. Let's work on being at peace with those around us. There are times that you got to stand up for your faith and things you got to stand up for. But most of the time, we as Christians have no reason not to be at peace with those around us. It starts in our homes, it starts in our church. Let's follow the Lord and let's be wise and follow His leading and what He's called us to. Father,